Morning. Good morning. You all doing okay today? Yeah. All right. I'm glad you're here. Fantastic. It's good to be here this morning, definitely. Absolutely. Oh, if you all would, would you just uh, grab your Bibles this morning? I hope that you brought them with you. We won't have anything up on the screens this morning, not because our production team didn't put them up there, because I didn't give them to them. So, <laughs> just, just looking out for you, Jeremy. That's all I'm doing, buddy. We do want to welcome all those this morning that are listening by radio or that are watching this morning through live stream. We're glad that you're here as well with us. And I want to just invite you to take your Bibles this morning. And the first place we're going to be is going to be in Matthew chapter 24. And uh, then we'll also, we're going to jump several places. So if you all would just take a big deep breath with me this morning, we'll, we're, going to, we're going to trot through several pages of Scripture this morning as we continue to uh, share about the King is coming. And I hope this morning you're excited when you hear the fact that the King is coming. And uh, we do know that Jesus Christ is one day going to return and establish his earthly kingdom here upon this place that we know. Uh, but uh, he is also in the process of building his kingdom spiritually in the lives of believers, those of us that have come to understand who Christ is. But literally one day he will bring his kingdom and set it here upon the earth and what a great time that that's going to be for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that's one reason we are so concerned about getting the gospel to those who have not heard the gospel. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning and we'll begin our study together. Our Father, we come to you today and we thank you, God, once again for the great privilege of being able to gather here this morning as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, and to open your word and Father, uh, as we look at our world today, God, we are not, uh, we're not in the dark about its chaos and problems, Lord. We, we see them with our own eyes and realize the days we're living in. But God, on the other hand, we are filled with joy this morning uh, because we know that you are the God of all creation, Lord, and nothing is outside of your control. And Father, you told your disciples that these things must take place, God. These are part of your plan and uh, Lord, for Christians this morning, we don't have to be concerned or fearful. Uh, we have joy in Christ this morning, knowing that, God, one day you are coming to set all things right. You will judge the nations. Every knee will bow and confess that you are Lord Jesus. And uh, Father, thank you for this gospel and this time, Lord, that you've given us to share this gift of your salvation with all who will believe Upon the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, you shall not turn them aside. So, Father, even this morning, Lord, there may be some gathered here with us today that are not in Christ. And, Lord, our prayer is that they will, that they will surrender their life to you, that they will repent of their sin, Lord, and turn to the only remedy, the only uh, one that paid for their sin, that is you, Christ, that you gave your own life for them, that they would not have to receive the judgment of God that's coming upon this earth one day, but Lord, that being in Christ, we took upon the judgment and wrath of God in you when you were crucified on the cross some 2,000 years ago. And we love you this morning. Be our teacher as you are always faithful to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The King is coming, and what a great, uh, a great thing to keep in our minds today as so many of you see so much going on in our world. It's an exciting time, I believe. To be alive, no greater time in the history of the world, in my opinion, to be alive. And what's incredible is God chose in his sovereignty that you would live during this time, that you would be here, you'd be present, and that for many of you here listening this morning, those of you that are watching, you are in Christ this morning, and because of God's amazing gift of salvation, you have trusted upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have been brought into his kingdom. And uh, what an encouragement it is for us to know that this is not all there is to life, that God is going to rule and reign one day upon the earth, not just in our hearts through the Spirit living in us, but literally upon this earth, He will rule and reign, and He will set His throne upon this earth. What an incredible thing to know this morning. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we remember we were in Matthew chapter 24 last week, and the disciples were were uh, bragging to Jesus about the temple and the buildings and how magnificent they were. Uh, the fact that uh, 
It was the place where Jews would go and they would worship God. The sacrifices were made, so on and so forth. And in just a few days, or just immediately, Jesus, of course, was going to be coming back and they would crucify the Lamb of God there on the hills of Golgotha. And he would receive the wrath of God for all humanity. He took upon himself the wrath of God. He paid for all sin, which is an incredible thing to think about, that in Christ, he took the wrath, we received his righteousness. And this is really the only two roads there really are in life. Number one, we will, uh, by our understanding and faith in Christ, trust in his atoning sacrifice, and we will have allowed Jesus to take the wrath of God in our place, or by rejecting this incredible gift of God through Jesus Christ, this gospel, we simply say, we don't want that, God. We want to stand before you, the judge of the world, and we will take upon ourselves your wrath. That's the two options. And so this gospel is such a good news, that is why we're here, and that's what we're so excited to share, is this good news of the gospel. But Jesus made a statement here as he's now heading across the Kidron Valley to the east, and he's going up on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples come to him there after he makes this statement. And they wanted to know this, what will be the sign of your coming? What's going to be the sign of your coming, Jesus? And not only that, when will the end of the age be? In other words, they wanted to know this because it was important to them. They really believed that the kingdom was going to be established right away. I mean, immediately. And that's why Judas had such a problem because he was, he was not of, of the rest of the group. The Bible says that he was of Satan because he was all about being a part of the group that was going to have the kingdom rule here upon the earth. And when he saw Jesus taken and that he was going to be crucified, Judas, he bails out because he's not in it for that. Because the kingdom that was going to come was going to come in the hearts of mankind through the gospel when the Spirit of God comes and indwells every believer. But the literal kingdom that will be established upon the earth is coming in the future. And Jesus makes the statement for them uh, that, it's, that it's important. Um, he tells them to watch out that no one deceives you, number one. And he also says it's not for you to know the time or, or the season when God is going to restore the kingdom upon the earth. It's not for you to know that. And if you go over to Acts chapter 1, just flip over there just a few, chap few books and you'll find Acts chapter 1. We know the gospel began to be preached in Acts chapter 1. There at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. And in chapter 1, we're going to see something here, though. Jesus, from his crucifixion, did his resurrection. For, for 40 days, he begins to visit with his disciples on and off about the kingdom. They want to know about the kingdom. And then he begins to share things with them. And so they say in verse 6, they said, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, when are you going to... Are you now at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted to know. And what did Jesus say? It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we know that that happened in Acts chapter 2. And then all of a sudden in verse 10 it says, As they were looking intently up into the sky, it says... As he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Remember, this is his ascension when the clouds envelop him, and then he just goes from their sight. These angels say to the disciples, Why are you standing here looking into the sky? They said, This same Jesus, not a metaphoric Jesus, not a spiritualized Jesus, but this same Jesus of flesh and bone, resurrected, the incarnate Son of God, this same Jesus, he is going to what? He will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, he's going to return the very same way that he, that he ascended. And what we find is, is that he was standing there on the Mount of Olives, and he is now, he's taking it up now into the clouds, and he's going to return literally, physically, the very same way that he ascended. He's going to return one day. You say, well, John, why is it that Jesus didn't tell them to set days or times, and he said only the Father knows the time? Let me tell you why that is. Because the Ancient of Days, which is God, God the Father, He's doing something for the son. He's going to give him his inheritance one day. And what is that inheritance? The inheritance is going to be the kingdom of 
God. He's going to give him this kingdom that he will rule and reign as king forever. And what is in the kingdom? You and me. We are part of the kingdom. We are the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom of heaven. And God for now, 2,000 years, has been populating the kingdom for the Son. Because those that are in his kingdom love him, worship him, praise him. And we are now in the kingdom of God. And one day, the Bible says that he's going to what? He's going to hand now the kingdom that will be filled with every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be a part of the kingdom of God upon the earth. It's a pretty incredible gift. Really incredible gift. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Daniel, but before we get to the main part of Daniel that we're going to look at this morning, remember, we're going back to 536 B.C. That's a long time ago. Uh, some of you feel like you've been there, but trust me, you haven't, okay? Um, we're going to go way, way back, but before we do this, I want you to notice something about Daniel chapter 7. If you'll go there, it's a pretty amazing thing that I want to show you. So go back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And I want you to see a few things. Now, if you know anything about the book of Revelation, it's actually the revelation of Jesus Christ. There in the first chapter, you're going to see a description that John sees of the resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. It's an incredible picture of what Jesus looks like as John describes him in all of his glory. So in chapter 1, we have John. He sees now Jesus Christ. He's on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's the only disciple left that's alive. And now this is about A.D. 95. He's there now on the island of Patmos, and he gets the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' revelation of himself. This is what he's getting now. And we see an incredible thing there. Then you get to chapter 2 and chapter 3, and he's writing letters to the churches, these seven literal churches. And they're for the church of all time, obviously, because here we are in the church even today. And there's things that were true of those churches that are true of the churches in this world today. And then you get to chapter 4, and all of a sudden the word ecclesia is not mentioned again until all the way at the very end of the book of Revelation. Chapter 4, we see John now taken up. He sees a doorway in heaven. He goes up, and now he's in the throne room of God in chapter Chapter 4, then chapter 5, as he begins to describe in 4 what he sees there. Chapter 5, we see the lamb who looked as though he had been slain before the foundation of the world. The lion of the tribe of Judah standing there, right there before the throne. He takes what? He takes the scroll, which is the title and deed to the earth. He now takes back the rule and the reign upon the earth that was given to Satan. Because anytime you are in submission under someone else, what happens? They have authority over you. And Adam did that in the Garden of Eden when he actually gave authority to Satan and he did what God said not to do. He gave away his rightful position to be the one that was supposed to multiply, subdue, and take this earth and do it. He gives it over to Satan, but Jesus Christ turned that all around on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And so now we see Jesus taking the rightful place there in heaven as John is seeing this in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. And then from there, now we begin to see the trumpets blow. And all of a sudden, the judgment of God upon the earth now is beginning to happen. And we are going through a climax of judgments as God begins to judge the earth. And then we know finally it's going to be the culmination, the Antichrist, the prophet, and so on and so forth. They're thrown into the lake of fire. They're defeated. And here we are. So God's going to finally bring his final kingdom literally upon the earth. And what an incredible thing it is uh, to, to study and to see what God has put within his word. But listen to this here. In, in Daniel chapter 7, I'm only going to give this to you just for a reason. We just talked about how Jesus Christ left. He ascended. A cloud wrapped around him there, and he just went from their sight. He ascended. Now in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to see something here. It says, And I looked, and thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and his hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court was seated, and the books were opened. It's judgment day. The books were opened. And now we see these boastful words here of the Antichrist that he's speaking here. And then you move down into verse 13. And we're going to see another picture. 
In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, which was one of Jesus' favorite terms for himself. He was the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, just the way that he left. He is coming again. He approached the Ancient of Days, which is the Father, God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, and he was given glory, and he was saw and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never end. Never end. Now, from the beginning of time, kingdoms have come and kingdoms have gone. But his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Who will, it will never go away. It is the final kingdom. It will never be destroyed. What an incredible thing. And you see Jesus as in Revelation chapter 5. Now he's been given something. He has been given all authority, glory, sovereignty, power. All of those things, sovereign power, were given to him. And all the nations of the world are worshiping the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Like Father, like Son. They look a lot alike if you read Revelation chapter 1 and you read also here in Daniel chapter 7. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Now you say, well, what about us? What's the big deal here? Well, let's go down just a little bit further into verse 26. We know that between verses uh, 13 down to 26, there is a fourth kingdom that he's talking about. This, this fourth kingdom. And we're going to look at these kingdoms here in Daniel chapter 2 and here in just a minute. Because God in his sovereignty, listen to this, guys. You, this is incredible. God in his sovereignty around 536 B.C. is showing Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel interpreting the dream the last five kingdoms of the entire eternal reign ever. He's going to show him the last four Gentile kingdoms and then the final kingdom that will come upon the earth and it will never be destroyed as we just read here in the seventh chapter of Daniel. Guess what? The kingdom of God upon the earth, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. But until then, there's only going to be four kingdoms or maybe five if you talk about the toes and so on and so forth. I'll show you here in a minute. Um, this, this revived empire. And right here between these two passages of scripture in Daniel chapter seven, you're going to find this fourth kingdom this, this beast kingdom, if you will. And it is the kingdom we are now a part of, right now upon the earth, and have been since before the time of Christ. It is the Roman kingdom. It has been there. It was the kingdom of the world. It's going to be revived Roman kingdom. And the Roman kingdom has never been snuffed out. Now, it had a wound, possibly, and it has not been as powerful, but the Roman kingdom is still alive. So we have something here. Look, at, look what happens to you and to me. Remember, he gives the son his inheritance, which is the saints of God who are filling the kingdom of God right now. So Jesus Christ is going to receive you as an inheritance for what he did on the cross of Calvary. He says, you want your reward, son? Let me show you your reward. And it will be as numerous. You won't even count the number who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will stand before him one day. And we will be the very glory of God given to Jesus Christ, his gift, this kingdom that has been multiplied through 2,000 years now. And he's going to give it to the son. And we see this here not only in Revelation chapter 5. We just read about it in Daniel chapter 7. Now listen what happens for us. This is incredible. The king is coming, y'all. Listen. Now in verse 26, we talk about the fourth kingdom there. Now we're going to move to 26. It says right here, But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Who's he talking about? The Antichrist. It's right there above it. This fourth kingdom. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. Did you hear that? That is incredible, you say. It is incredible. God is going to give the kingdom to the Son, and then we are going to receive the kingdom from the Son. That is incredible. Wow, that's amazing. Remember the Bible says that you and I are going to rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. This is amazing. You're building a resume right now for your kingdom service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty incredible. So it says right here, it will be handed over to the saints. Listen to me. The church does not call someone a saint because they want to. Every person who is in Christ Jesus is a saint of God. Do you hear me? 
You're a saint if you're here this morning and you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to be a saint 500, 200 years from now if the Lord tarries because we decide you are. You're a saint because Jesus Christ says you are, because you are in Christ Jesus. You are redeemed. You are justified. You have his righteousness. You are a saint of God. You are not an old sinner. You are a saint of God. That's what you are. Well, you are old sinner, but you are a saint of God. All right? Here we go. Now, I get excited when I talk about this stuff because the king is coming. And when I see some Christians, they don't look like they think the king is ever going to come. But he's coming. He's coming again. Then it says this, that, his, that this kingdom, the whole heaven, will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. 536 B.C., when Daniel began to write these things. Pretty incredible, is it not? <laughs> That's amazing. God is amazing. Take your Bibles and flip back a few chapters. A few chapters. Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, we find something interesting that's going on in the lives of the people of the nation of Israel and Judah. They had done what, what God had told them over and over and over not to do, and they continued to fornicate spiritually with the idols of the people in the land in which they were living. And if you read the Old Testament, you're going to find that over and over and over, they are worshiping these foreign gods, the gods that were of Egypt. Remember, when they came out of Egypt, God did some things to prove to them that he was the only God. That's why he did 10 plagues. They were also a judgment against the gods of the nation of Egypt. He was going to show them that he was the one true God because for over 400 years the nation of Egypt had been slaves in Egypt and they had been worshiping within the culture that they were a part of. You have Baal, you have Moloch, you have Chemosh, you have all these old gods, you have Isis, Horus, you have Osiris, you have all these old gods that are all part of the satanic kingdom. These are all gods that all through time have different names. But people still worship them. You know, they're still even worshipped today. They're worshipped right before our eyes today. They may have a different name, but they're still the gods of the nations before us. And God says, do not worship those foreign gods. Israel couldn't help themselves. They constantly were worshipping Baal, these fertility gods and all that went along with that. I mean, you can imagine all that was going on in all these cities Paul writes about, there was a lot of that sexual stuff going on within the temple of Diana and so and so forth. And all this stuff was worshipped to these foreign gods, these gods of really darkness, of Satan. And Satan, all he does is, is he likes to mimic what God does, but he never can because he's a created being who has limited power, who can't be any place more than one at a time, and who has not enough knowledge to know all the things of God, although he is a created being. He will be destroyed one day, by the way. Thank God for that. But anyway, we find here now in, in Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who now is now the, the king over Babylon, and the reason that the Israelites and the Jew, those from Judah were now exiled to Babylon because God told Israel, if you do not stop worshiping these foreign gods, I'm going to come and I'm going to take you out and I'm going to scatter you among the nations. That's what I'm going to do. And guess what happened? Why are people so shocked when God says, don't we do, something happens? I mean, my kids sometimes would look at me in amazement when I said, don't, I'll do, and wham! I can't believe you did that. Well, what did I tell you I was going to do, right? People sometimes, when it comes to the Word of God, when God says, don't, we do, and then something happens, we're like, well, why in the world did that happen? Read, there's your sign. How's that, right? <laughs> because when God says something, listen to this. You need to get a hold of this. When God says it, it will happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. What we talked about last week was this. Why does it seem that we're moving forward so quickly to a globalistic society? Why is that? We have to. Do you understand that? We're going to move 
forward, faster, bigger, more to a globalistic society or world, I should say, it's going to happen. It's going to happen if all these things that are talked about in Scripture are going to take place. We have to get there, and it's going to happen. And so we shouldn't be alarmed by these things. We should say, come, Lord Jesus. We see it here. And listen, Jesus Christ and the Word of God, God did not bring this to conceal anything to anyone. He brought the Word and gave it to all humanity so we could have revelation of the truth, not concealment or hiding of the truth. This is available to every single person who will pick it up and read it, is the truth of the Word of God. He has come to show us the truth, not to only give it to a few of you. Just a few of you. I'm sorry, only a couple of you are going to have the real, the real light here. Bull. If anything says that they've come to show you the real light because you're not in light, they're lying. Because it's not about secrecy. It's about revelation. It's a revelation. All right? So just remember that today. All right, so here we are. Israel now has done exactly what God said not do, and Judah, and now they are, they are, in, they are in captivity. This is what it says in Jeremiah 25. I want to read you just a little bit today. Hang with me so we can get through this. Now, God had sent the prophets, and he'd been sending them all along to tell the nation of Israel, don't do this. Judges and prophets and so on and so forth. This is what you are to do. This is what you shouldn't do, so on and so forth. And God now has been sending prophets. And now we're going to look at the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, for 23 years, the word says, in 25, starting in verse 3. We're going to read through here. Jeremiah, for 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you again and again. Listen. But you have not listened. You have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants and the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices. And you can stay in the land the Lord God gave you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow the other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger and with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. For the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words. Listen to this. I will summon... All the peoples of the north and my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that incredible? Nebuchadnezzar was not, he was, he was a pagan. But because God's people wouldn't listen, God used pagan people to judge his own people. And he says, I'm going to summon from the north these people. And by the way, their leader, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what's going to happen. He's the king of Babylon. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness, their voices of the bride and groom and the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now, you want to talk about the sovereignty of God. Before they've even started through the 70 years of captivity, Jeremiah, through, the, through God, tells the people, oh, by the way, I've been warning you all for 23 years that God's fixing to do something. Because you would not turn from your wicked ways, you stiff-necked people, God is now bringing upon you the judgment that you have brought upon yourselves, and he's going to use a pagan nation to judge you. That's what God's going to do. Why? Because he is God of all. He is sovereign. And if God wanted to use Nebuchadnezzar, he'll use Nebuchadnezzar. Men are so proud. They're so prideful. They think that they are so powerful. Listen, God is powerful. And he'll do what he will do. And that's the way it is. 
And so he tells them that this Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the north, is going to come, and he's going to ransack this city. And not only ransack it, but for 70 years, that's a long time to be in captivity. For 70 years, you will be in captivity. Well, guess what? It happened. Exactly the way that God says it would happen. And so what took place? King Nebuchadnezzar did exactly what God said he would do. He comes and he ransacks them. And then all of a sudden he takes for himself some of the smart ones, some of the good looking ones. Unfortunately, I would have been probably just wandering around the country out there. I wouldn't have been in that group, but, but some of you might have been. He grabs them. He brings them back to Babylon, right? He brings them back to the city of Babylon, by the way. Babylon. And now we have Daniel, and we have some stories here about Shadrach, Meshach, so on and so forth. We have some of these stories here about the time of the Babylonian captivity. And now Daniel here is working now for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he now, of course, changes his name and changes everything about where Daniel lives and customs. And he has all these other gods and everything else. But Daniel's in Babylon. Listen to me, Christian. You are in Babylon. You're in Babylon. That's why Jesus tells us to come out of the world. We live in it, but to be not of it. Daniel went to Babylon. And he could have said, you know what? Well, I've, he changed my name to one of his gods. Baal. Changed my name to one of his gods. And not only that, now I've got to eat certain foods. And not only that, now they're teaching me the customs and languages of their land. And now I'm working within this whole system. Surely I probably ought to do what they say to do. But you know what he didn't? He didn't do what they said to do. He remained faithful to his God. That's the challenge of what we got to do today, Christian. We got to remain faithful to the one true living God. And he is the only God of all creation. Be careful that we don't get caught up with the gods of the land that we are living in. We are living in that, that land. There's no doubt, no question about it. No question about it. And so, this is exactly what happens. Nebuchadnezzar now has a, has a, a dream. It's a troubling dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar gets a hold of all his magicians and his spiritists and so on and so forth, the cultists and everything, because there was a lot of occultism within Babylon. Have you know there's a lot of occultism in the United States of America and around the world? It's still here. There's a lot of people who worship and are part of the occult system. We got Satan worshipers, we got Wiccans, we got those who worship the Kabbalah and study the Kabbalah. We got so much stuff out there, it's incredible. And it's all the occult system. It's everywhere around us, to be honest with you. And now we have Daniel now is there, and the king tells these people, if you don't tell me, I'm going to kill you all. And Daniel goes back and says, hold on, let me, let me have a time to pray about this. He goes back and he prays and prays to God. And God reveals what the dream was and what the dream meant. See, God is the one who can do that. He's the only one that can do that. And in verse 27, Daniel says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days that are to come. And now Daniel begins to share with him about this incredible vision of what he had received. Now, what Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream, you can read through there if you want to, is he has a dream now, and there's a huge image. And it's there on the plain of Shinar, but it's, it's a huge image. And the image starts out, it's got a head of gold, and then it moves down to the arms and the chest, and it's, it's, it's silver, and then as you make your way down the body, it turns to bronze, which is the belly and thighs. And then as you make your way further down the body of this massive image that Nebuchadnezzar sees, he has iron legs. And then when you get to his toes, it is clay mixed with iron. So he starts with a head, one, and it's got the most valuable of all things, gold. And as he makes its way down, it gets cheaper. It begins to divide up. And by the time you get down to the very toes, it's got clay mixed with iron. 
And then there was something very troubling about this, this dream. And Daniel goes on and says, and then you saw a stone that had been cut out of a mountain. And the stone that had not been cut out by human hands rolled down the mountain. And when it got to this great big image, it just exploded the image from the toes to the head. It exploded. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's probably calling in his cupbearer and wants to know what in the world he put in his drink. Because he can't figure this out. And then Daniel not only tells him what he saw, now Daniel is going to interpret for this king something very incredible. Daniel is going to interpret for this king the last remaining world kingdom empires until the final kingdom of Christ establishes upon the earth. It is incredible. In fact, historians want to argue, and they'll say there is no way Daniel was written in 536 B.C. There's no way. It had to have been written sometime in the late 1st, early 2nd century. Because when we study the book of Daniel, we can't believe that what Daniel said actually happened in the pages of history. They're blown away. Listen to what God gave Nebuchadnezzar and what Daniel interpreted about the last and final four Gentile kingdoms that would ever rule over this world. Listen to what he says. It is absolutely incredible. In verse 36, starting in verse 36, it says, This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You better get this right, Daniel. You're going to lose your life if it's not right. He says, you, O king, are the little k, king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion. Listen to this. Who gave him dominion? God did. Don't you think for a minute that God is not in somewhat control over what's going on in our world, friend? Satan is the little g God of this age. Yes, he is. But he has limited power. And the sovereignty of God overrules anything that Satan will ever try to do. It's going to happen just like God said it would. Then it says this. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. That's what God did for Nebuchadnezzar. A pagan king judging the nation of Israel, the people of God for their rebellion. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold, Neb. Old Neb, you on this statue are the head of gold. Now, at first glance, this probably brought somewhat of an exhilarating thought to his mind. I'm sure he was full of himself anyway. Most men are. I got one amen out of that. How dare you say that? No. But then it had to trouble him because the head of gold ended about right here. <laughs> that had to be troubling, right? He says, you're the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. That's what you are. After you, Neb, after you, another kingdom is going to rise. See, the thing about men doesn't matter if it's Alexander the Great, doesn't matter if it's Napoleon, it doesn't matter if it's America, it doesn't matter what or who we are, we think we're going to last forever. The truth is it's not a reality. It's not. No nation is going to last forever. Study history. We are a young nation. By all standards, we're a young nation. We better not be too prideful to think we'll be here forever. Now, moving right along. After you, Neb is going to rise another kingdom inferior to yours. Well, I'm sure he's like, obviously. It's made of silver. I'm gold, right? After you is going to rise another one. It's inferior to yours. After that, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And then finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, 
for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks the things to pieces, so it will crush and break all others. And just as you saw the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. And then old Neb. Neb falls prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Both of those are wrong, but anyway. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Now, I've only got about three minutes. So we're going to stop right there. Um, Christian, I hope that as we think about this truth about the king coming, that you are greatly filled with joy. But on the other hand, I think it does something else for us as well. I think it makes us feel a sense of urgency in understanding why we share the gospel. The gospel is what God did that man could not do. The gospel is a free gift to man. The gospel is a high cost from God to man. God took upon himself all sin, took upon himself in the person of the Son all the judgment of man. We receive righteousness, we receive justification before God. We receive forgiveness of sin. We receive adoption as sons and daughters of, of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We, we are in Christ. We will always remain in Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us as a deposit that guarantees an inheritance which is to come. We understand that we, we are living in this time in history, but yet it's not just a waste of time. It's actually a very important time for our life. And our life matters to the kingdom because God has so chosen for you to be alive at this present time to use you as an ambassador for the King of kings and Lord of lords that you would share with this world that is still in darkness the truth about Christ. If you're here today, friend, and you do not know Christ, you don't have to leave here that way if God has spoken your name today. You can be adopted into the kingdom of God today. You can receive by faith this incredible gospel. You can repent of your old life and your old sin. By the way, how's that working for you anyway? It don't work. And you can turn to the one true living God and surrender your life to Him and say, God, I want to be yours forever. He'll save you today. You'll be part of a kingdom that's going to last forever. That's the good news of the gospel. By the way, hell is forever as well. And I know that preachers today don't like to talk about hell. But Jesus talked a lot about hell. Sure did. Why do we talk about it? Because it's a reality. It is the reality. But let me tell you. What an incredible thing to think about, it, what God has done and what God will do. 
When the thousand years was over, Satan will be released. It's talking about what's coming up in the future. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. See, hell's a reality for everyone, it says, whose name was not found written in the book of life. God has books. And the Bible says that one day they're going to be opened. And if our name is not found written therein, the book of life, we will be cast into the lake of fire. That means this. We were either falsely believed, weren't real. Maybe we were religious. Maybe we flat out rejected Jesus and said, you know what, I'll take it on my own. And man will stand before the sovereign God of this universe and he will receive upon himself his just due judgment just as Israel did. And he will for all eternity bear his judgment. Why would you want to do that? Pride. Arrogance. Love the sin. Deceived. People say, well, I just can't stop doing it. Bull, loney. The truth is, you just don't want to stop doing it. Don't give me that line. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, why do we come to church anyway? What's this all about? It's for believers to come and to be equipped with the gospel to go out into this world and tell people there's coming a day. And it could be tomorrow for you or for me where you will meet Jesus face to face. Believer or unbeliever, you will give an account for your life. That's why we do this. That's why Christians have joy. Not because we're happy other people are not going to heaven. We're broken over that. We have joy because Christ lives in us and we have Christ for eternity. Does that make sense? Jesus is coming. Um, do we have a song this morning? I believe we do. You guys are going to get good at this. Some of you sing a lot better than you say you do. There's coming a day, too, where we are going to sing a new song. <laughs> we're going to sing a new song. Let me read this to you, and I know we've got to go. There's going to be a new song that we're going to sing, and we find it in Revelation chapter 5. It's an incredible thing to think about what we're going to sing one day. Let me read it to you here if I can get there before the dinner bell rings. I want to encourage you to sing this morning. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And John says that when he saw you and me in heaven, we were singing a new song of praise to Jesus. If you're here this morning, sir and ma'am, I want you to sing while we have time here upon the earth to the God of your salvation this morning. Amen? Amen. I hope they have words. <laughs> Go ahead and stand up. Let's stand up this morning. Let's sing to our God and our King. Amen? Amen. All right. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
prayer. And if God is speaking to your heart right over here in these doors, there's some men and women waiting to pray with you. If you need Jesus today or you just need to pray, they're in there to, to help pray with you. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you so much, Lord, for your grace. For God, without your grace, none of us would know you today. Thank you, Lord, for this salvation that is for everyone who believes. There's no one here within the sound of my voice that is outside the scope of the grace of God, no matter who you are, what you've done. So God, thank you that your grace is real, your forgiveness is forever. Thank you, God, that your love is, is so great, God. Thank you, Lord, that if there's anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, Father, you're drawing them right even now as we pray, and your Holy Spirit's doing his work in the lives of people, and they'll come to know you today as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, their Father in heaven. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's sing one more verse. For that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears believes how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are go with us from this place. Give us the joy in our hearts of knowing Jesus. Thank you, God, that the King is coming, and we look forward to that day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You all have an awesome week. Amen.